Hi, this is Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows the food choices I make, and they matter. And uh, so how do we make our food purchases count? Um, that's our topic for today. And joining us via phone is the Deputy Director of the Cornucopia Institute, Michelle Marchetti. Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited well, to be here. Yeah, so uh, tell us first, tell us a little bit about what is uh, Cornucopia Institute? Sure. So the Cornucopia Institute is the premier organic industry watchdog in the U.S. So in essence, what we do is we fight for truth and transparency. We name extractive operations and brands that are breaking the organic rules. And we identify the brands that um, consumers should avoid and those they should support. Yay. So um, transparency in our food system and integrity. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So tell me a little bit about your personal background. What brings you to this work? Sure. Uh, Well, when I moved to Pennsylvania from New York, one of the first things that I did was join a community-supported agriculture program at my local certified organic farm. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but it changed the course of my career. I became extremely involved in the local food movement here and um, also in the state of PA as a whole. And I brought my communications background to local food systems work. I joined the board of directors of a startup food cooperative called Friends and Farmers Food Co-op. We worked with several certified organic farmers, and we helped launch an online farmer's market that put a lot of money in the pockets of local certified organic farmers. I realized through that work that there was a tremendous need for a bridge between consumers and their local organic farmers and that storytelling could really play a powerful role here. And personally, I'm a mother. Uh, This work matters tremendously to me as I see what's happening in the industrial food system and the harm that it's doing to our earth. I I have my eye on the future. You you said a couple things there. One is the word storytelling. And um, I was thrilled. um, We're taping this on Thursday, but I was thrilled that this week, um, Robin Wall Kimmer, um, who's going to be at a land stewardship event on uh, December 7th, um, but she got a MacArthur Genius Fellow Award. And one of the things that she said is that she sees her role as a storyteller with that. So and and you also use that word storytelling, and I love the way you just told your personal story. And it's like I started doing this one thing, and then it just sort of changed the entire rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, but it's grounded. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah, and I think I mean I think that's so. When you think about our work too, I mean we say all the time, you know, start somewhere. You know, this can be very overwhelming as a consumer in the marketplace, but if you start somewhere. If you buy, you know, let's just say one brand of certified organic food, you go to one local certified organic farmer at your farmer's market, and you hear the story about what they're doing with the soil, what they're doing in their community, it suddenly opens the door to a whole world that maybe you didn't realize. And it's like one thing leads to another, and suddenly you want more and more information. And and that's the opposite of what a lot of the big companies in the marketplace want, right? They want to give you the marketing and give you the, you know, the splashy brand so that you don't go deeper so that you just stop there. So I think, yeah, it's really interesting. Like the more you get, the more you want to know. 
And we're also taping this on uh, uh, National uh, on National Co-op Month, which is October. Um, and so even when you said do one thing, do one thing, there, there is a movie out there called The Co-op Wars. It's on Twin Cities Public TV. And it does a wonderful job of showing how these co-ops started in the Twin Cities. Um, it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was really just the same process of you just do one step and then all of a sudden you're selling vegetables out your front door. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, you know, you try to get a freezer and then all of a sudden you just bought the, what became Seward Co-op. I mean, it is um, it is the way of life. Absolutely. And the, and the co-ops are such an important part of the story here. You know, right now, like you said, it is it is National Co-op Month and we are really celebrating and amplifying the work of co-ops. And we have longstanding relationships with co-ops that we are trying to build on because they are really putting local organic farmers first in their efforts to build more resilient local food systems. So we want to build deeper partnerships with them, whether that means um, partnering with their communities and staff on webinars to help elevate messaging around the value of organic or engaging consumers as organic advocates in support of organic food and farming. And we also have a fun contest I'd love to tell you about. Oh, sure. Fun. Yay. Okay. So if you head to our Facebook page and you tell us what you love about your local food cooperative, you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to use on your next shopping trip to that co-op. And then also, and this goes back to what I was saying about storytelling, um, the winning quote, or, you know, we're going to pick a quote at random, but whatever co-op they're associated with, we're also going to do a story on that co-op and tell the story and share that co-op story with our um, network of consumers and supporters, because we want more people to understand the important role that co-ops play. Yeah, so now let's let's uh, talk a little bit more about um, the Cornucopia Institute. So you've got three legs of work. So you're a watchdog for organic. You work on policy, and you help with consumer activism. So let's talk. Let's let's talk a little bit. Let's take that first one. Why is there a need for a watchdog when it comes to organic food? Well, first of all, I think every industry needs a watchdog, right? But when we talk about organic. Industrial organic operations have really flooded the organic market with their cheap food produced using substandard practices. And so we need eyes on the ground. Um, Our reporting has resulted in fines and decertification of fraudulent operations. And our watchdog work is growing. We're actually in the process right now of hiring an organic investigator. We haven't hired the person yet, but stay tuned. Um, This, this, Traveler will be, you know, our eyes and ears and your eyes and ears in the field as they search out the best and worst in U.S. organic production. Well, it's been a while, so my details are a little foggy, but organic fraud is tremendous. I know there was one case, and it's like, really? I mean, he was selling, like, millions and millions of dollars of food that was labeled organic, and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. It is... um it's it's a shame, and we don't expect these cases to go away. A lot of these cases are, are still out there, and we expect more to follow. I think you're I think you're referring to the tale of Randy Constant, yes, that's uh, the it. farmer, yeah, the farmer in Missouri. But these, you know, these cases of corruption really highlight in our mind that the USDA's apparent indifference to its own organic program. 
Well, so there's there's that far out corruption um, that that case, um, um, but then there's also the standards and how the standards get kind of adjusted. And, and there's a deadline coming up right now on November 10th for a public com- about the uh, proposed organic livestock and poultry standards. Do you want to talk about that? I would love to talk about that. Um, yeah, the OLPS is which shorthand for that the long <laughs> alphabet soup that you just mentioned here. Um, the OLPS is going to, we hope, address uh, what's happening with porches in the marketplace. And I'm not sure how much people know about porches, but uh, there's this discrepancy between industrial organic and authentic organic egg production, where industrial organic is using screen porches as the only outdoor access for birds. Um, these porches are you know, enclosed covered spaces, they do not allow the birds to engage in, in their natural behaviors. And so this, this animal welfare issue addressed by the proposed rule will phase out the allowance of these screen porches. And we are currently working hard to get it passed. We're working hard with partners um, like Organic Farmers Association um, and other partners in the movement. We really need we need a unified voice here because what's happening is industry is working behind closed doors to to really um, kill this. And it's why this extension, You, I think you mentioned there was a deadline extension, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I yeah, mentioned so the- it, but but just to just to be clear, so I buy free range eggs, and I can tell mm-hmm. if I go to my co op, I know Larry Schultz, I know I know the people I'm buying from locally. Um, that's one thing. But if I go to a big box store and it's blaring on there, these are free range chickens. They may not they may not be what what our hope is that we mean mm-hmm. by these words. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of labels and statements cluttering cartons in the grocery store right now. And you mentioned free range, and that's one of them. Um, you know, free range sounds great, right? <laughs> um, but it doesn't necessarily ensure reputable animal welfare. Now, authentic organic producers um, that we identify on our organic egg scorecard are providing year-round access and accommodate the health and natural behavior of the birds. And now you mentioned your local farmer. You know, we, if you, if you know your farmer, that's great. But when you can't know your farmer, that label is so important. Without a doubt. So, so your egg scorecard, um, talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So our egg scored it, sorry, our egg scorecard is the most popular um, scorecard on our website right now, we have scorecards in dairy and beef and cottage cheese and even um, things like plant-based beverages. But people are really coming to the egg scorecard to get information, I think, because of the reasons that I just mentioned. You know, there's so many, you know, dubious labels and statements out there. And so what we do with our scorecards is we use um, investigation and research we survey all the certified organic egg um, producers listed in the National Organic Program database, and we work with trusted partners in the movement to get information as well. And then we rate those scorecards, and so that you, sorry, we rate those brands on the scorecards, so that you can see as a consumer what the difference is between again what we call industrial organic and the real authentic organic uh, producers in the marketplace. 
And so your website is corn, C-U-R-N-U-C-O-P-I-A dot org. And you can go on that website and you can look up the word scorecard so you can check out the different different type of um, um, scores that you have on all sorts of these. And we're going to talk more about this in the next segment. But you can also go there and check out um, uh, telling the USDA about the OLPS. A lot of initials there, but it's important. It's like if you say free-range chicken, we got to give... Chickens, does, we need authentic organ, organic, authentic organic, and not just industrial organic. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with Michelle Marchetti. She's the deputy director of the Cornucopia Institute, and we'll be right back. This train is bound to... Rain into a paper cup They slither wildly As they slip away Across the universe Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us today is the Deputy Director of the Cornucopia Institute, Michelle Marchetti. And when we went on break, um, we were talking about this deadline coming up for um, uh, for these organic standards. So tell us a little bit more about that, Michelle. Sure. Well, I think what I want to say here is, you know, this deadline was extended. So we had sent out a, a an action alert to our supporters and the independent retailers who support us as well and the co-ops who support us, um, asking them to please comment and to be as personal as possible and to, you know, flood the Federal Register with, with comments and letting uh, USDA know that consumers really do want to pay more for animal welfare. And so what happened was we found out um, a few days ago that the deadline was being extended. And, you know, that, that seems like it's good news, but also what it says to us and what we're hearing from, again, our trusted partners and from folks who are on the ground lobbying in D.C. is that this is industry. This is industry working behind closed doors so they can have more time to kill this rule. And so that's why if you're listening um, if you have a co-op that you go to, an independent retailer you go to, you know, please encourage them to reach out. I hope that you will reach out. You know, we really need consumer voices. We need retailer voices in the public process. What you say does matter here. And it's needed as a necessary counterbalance to tremendous industry pressure, not only from the organic marketplace, but from the conventional marketplace. The conventional marketplace is also working to kill this rule, to kill continuous improvement in animal welfare in the organic marketplace. Now that tells you something. Well, there's a lot, and part of part of think of the larger story is how to move from a fair based system to a more love based system. But mm. Let's let's. What are we talking about when we're saying animal rights, and we're using um, um, these initials of OLPS and what does this mean? Yeah, what do we mean? Yeah. What do we mean? Yeah. Well, you know, the organic regulations, um, fundamental to the organic regulations is outdoor access, right? And so, um, you know, consumers are, are placing trust in the organic, consumers place trust in the organic label to deliver on the values that are important to them. And so you said, you know, what does this mean? Well, for birds, it means that they are engaging in natural behaviors, that they're, um, you know, dust bathing and, um, you know, they have access, like legitimate outdoor access, you know, not crammed inside 
an enclosed porch where if they're on one end of the porch, they may never get to the outdoor access. You know, that is not animal welfare. And it's not what consumers in the organic marketplace want from their organic products. So if people go on your website, it says that farmers and other interested parties should sign the Organic Farmers Association petition to the USDA. So what is in that petition? Yeah, so there's a um, separate petition just for organic farmers. So often what we do is we work with partners in the movement and we say, okay, like what can we do to get the most um, impact here? We have a lot of consumers who follow our work and we have a lot of organic farmers who follow our work. So we have a place for organic farmers to comment. We have a place for retailers to comment and we have a place for consumers to comment. So why is conventional egg um, trying to kill these rules? And again, these rules only apply to the eggs in the supermarket that are marked organic. They don't, exactly. ap- they don't apply to any other eggs, just the eggs that are marked organic. Why does um, industrial egg uh, want to, or conventional egg want to kill the, the rules on um, open space and um, access to outdoors for chickens? Because it means that consumers care about these issues. They don't want eyes on what's happening in these extractive food systems. And that's exactly why they're trying to kill it. So, okay, so this is some of the policy issues. So in addition to um, the being a watchdog, um, there's also a lot of other policy issues that really do matter. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to make a little bit of jump just mainly because I want to make sure I remembered it because one of the reasons I reached out is the baby formula crisis that happened this year. Mm. There's a lot of policy um, parts. So let's just remind people who may not be aware what happened with baby food formula in the United States in 2022. Yeah, good question. I mean, it was um, what happened was a travesty. Um, This is this was basically came down to um, Abbott Nutrition, which is a maker of Similac. They closed their Michigan plant. Um, There was a, a temporary shutdown that came in the wake of reports of bacterial infection in five infants, and two of them actually died. Uh, They had reportedly consumed formula from that facility. Um, What makes this an issue that we care about is that this is basically a symptom of a marketplace that's controlled by only a handful of companies. And when you have only a handful of companies controlling a marketplace, the result is a scarcity of choice. But when you have you know, we're talking about infants here, and we're talking about a product that is the sole source of nutrition for a baby. So it's not like you can just swap out one brand for, you know, you can't, if we're talking about, let's say there was a recall on, I don't know, organic canned tomatoes, you can't just swap out one brand for another, right? I mean, we're talking about formula here. So the stakes are particularly worrisome. Well, and I, when I walked into any of those stores, and you see the, the shelves of formula empty, I mean, I can't imagine being a parent in that situation. I mean, it's it was it was really scary um, to say the least. But problems, and I mean, uh, it just says something we don't expect would happen in in our world at this time. So behind that is the the problem of consolidation. And so if I, as a food eater and food producer, as, as, as I, as a person who needs to eat, I don't want to be reliant on just one large company. That's just not, that's right. not, that's not nature's wisdom. 
No, it's not. And it's not what, you know, what organic is based on, right? Organic is based on, you know, biodiversity and, you know, things like that. And so we, um, what we're doing right now is we have created a list of nearly 60 independent certified organic brands that are nationally available in the marketplace so that consumers can know what the brands are that are out there that are really trying to do the right thing. And this includes everything from formula to chocolate to, to grains. And we're, we're sending this list to our supporters, and then we're going to make it available on our website. Um, okay. And so um, some people have said maybe it's time to move away from the organic because it it, it because the industrial or some – does that word organic is, – is, uh, is it still an important word in our, in our food ecosystem, the word organic? I think if it has the word certified before it, yes. <laughs> it still means a lot. There is a lot of greenwashing out there. But, I mean, look, the label isn't perfect. But – your local certified organic farmer at the farmer's market isn't the problem here. In fact, they're an important solution to some of the biggest issues of our time. And so when you can't know your farmer and in the context of so much greenwashing out there, the organic label is a critical assurance for a shopper. So we're going to take a break. And um, later on, I want to talk about consolidation and how that is actually something that I think we can we can have widespread agreement, even when people who normally don't agree on a lot of issues, uh, you know, we don't like this consolidation that's occurred. And um, we're also going to talk about um, a, a person who got the MacArthur Genius Grant. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. With us is Michelle Mashadi, uh, Deputy Director of the Cornucopia Institute. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, and I um, am extremely pleased. I was just happy this this week. One of my favorite authors um, just won um, the MacArthur Genius Grant, and that is Robin Wall Kimmer, um, and she's the author of the book Braiding Sweetgrass. So we're going to play a little clip that's on the MacArthur um, Foundation's website from Robin. Although I'm trained as a scientist, I am coming to understand that the greatest influence I can have is as a storyteller and as a writer. Sometimes people think that what I'm talking about is promoting indigenous science over Western science. But what I'm really working toward is a relationship between them. It's this powerful invitation to look at the world through multiple streams of knowledge, not just one. My name is Robin Wall Kimmerer, and I'm a plant ecologist, educator, and writer. Traditional ecological knowledge is both a way of knowing and a whole body of knowledge of understanding the relationships in the living world. This is collective knowledge that has been generated over millennia. Remembering that there was a time in our history when traditional ecological knowledge was intentionally erased through assimilation of our children, I feel a deep responsibility to the restoration, revitalization, and carrying forward of our knowledge. These combined crises of biodiversity loss on the edge of climate catastrophe 
they have all come because we treat the earth as if it were our property. So the covenant of reciprocity says that there is no ecological system on earth that can persist if all we do is take. We always have to replenish. I've heard our elders say that one of the reasons that our people held on to our traditional knowledge and teachings against all odds was that one day there would come a time when all of the world was in need of this wisdom. I think that time is now. So that's uh, Robin Wall Kimmer, um, MacArthur's Foundation's 2022 Genius Grant recipient. Um, and Michelle Marchetti's um, joining me by phone. She's the deputy director of the Cornucopia Institute. And I think when I go to the store and I look at that free range um, sign on the egg carton, it's about having a relationship with the chicken and relationship with the world. It's not about just and, – and so what do you do, – do you agree on that, that it's um, – that eating is more than just a <laughs> it's more than just getting calories it's about having a relationship with the world absolutely and i think people are are hungry for that connection you know with what's going on in the world around them you know the food that they eat is just one way to is, is just one small way to engage um the organic the authentic organic farmers that that we write about you know robin mentioned storytelling um, and she's such a beautiful storyteller. Um, the authentic organic farmers that we write about, that we, you know, share stories about, they really honor the relationships in the natural world. This is not about trying to control the natural world and make it work for you, but it's, it's figuring out how to work in harmony. Um, and the authentic organic farmers that we amplify and write about and rate highly on our organic scorecards really understand the value of getting out of nature's way. Yeah, and um, I also want to make sure I mention that the Land Stewardship Project, their um, event on Wednesday, December 7th, um, it's their 40th anniversary celebration talk, Indigenous to Place, and Robin uh, Wellkimmer will be participating in that. Um, I think that she's participating virtually, but I want to make sure that I get a mention in on that. Um, Because it actually offers me some hope, maybe that's the right word, I don't know, but some optimism about the future that... um, that moving into the world, uh, moving into an abundant world, can actually still happen. Um, and I was surprised when I looked up cornucopia. I didn't even realize that the word cornucopia, one of the meanings of it, is abundance. Yeah, absolutely, and it's such a great um, it's such great symbolism for for the work that we do because I think there's this there's this idea out there that, you know, there's a scarcity here, but what we're saying is, you know, there is this, there's an abundance and the organic farmers that are in, in your backyard are, are truly taking care of the earth. And so um, one of the, so, so storytelling, uh, humans are storytelling creatures um, embedded in place. And so the dominant story uh, from 1980s, you know, get farmers were told to get big or get out. <laughs> and we were told we need to have technology in order to feed the world. And that, and, and so a lot of these stories are, um, are living in us. Are those accurate stories? Say more. 
Oh, okay, Are those sure. Accurate? Yeah. So, so I mean, I mean, I, I think that I think on some level, um, people are afraid that. Um, that without industrial agriculture, mm. we will all starve. And I think there's – I mean, I, I don't think there are some simple solutions out here because, um, you know, we do – life is complex and we all want food, especially at times of um, inflation and what's happening with Ukraine. I mean, there is there's a lot of – I don't want to um, – I, I want to be realistic, um, but I also know that um, that I think that um, like uh, uh, no cost natural farming in India. There's been some really good um, research on that, and that is actually profitable. And people like David Montgomery have done some really good research on um, how organic, small organic farmers can actually make more money per acre with um, approaches to land that um, that that are not. Just just chemically and industrial driven, but are um, that that allow nature to lead. So sometimes nature led um, farming, I don't know, um, can actually be more um, can 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 feed people and make money. I just heard a story the other day about a, a certified organic farmer who um, had transitioned, um, was a conventional farmer. And just couldn't keep up with, couldn't keep up with the weeds. And he, you know, he's like, what I'm spraying, it's not working anymore. My farm is going to fail. I need to do something. So here's, here's, it's an interesting story, right? Here's a farmer who's moving toward something that we all agree is better for the earth, right? And for our future, but is not doing it for that reason. Doing it for the reason because his farm is going to fail if he doesn't try something else. So that to me is really striking. You know, why are we seeing, you know, conventional farmers moving to things like cover cropping right now, right? Because this system um, isn't working. <laughs> Right. And I mean, the promises of technology was that uh, we're actually getting, you know, that all of a sudden we move to this technology and then we won't have to use as much pesticide. A lot of their promises were lies. They didn't, or, or not, maybe lies are um, too strong of a word, but th- 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 they didn't meet their aspirations. It did not, it, they were overly optimistic about how they would work. And um, so we've got uh, resistant weeds um, growing and, um, um, do you want to talk more on that? Yeah, I mean, I will say that, well, I just want to go back to the idea of, of yields, too, because um, I think there's this myth, right, that if, you, if you're if you an organic farmer, that your yields are not going to be able to keep up. Um, and, and that's been unfounded. I mean, I think if you look at some, I don't know if you're familiar with, if your listeners are familiar to, familiar with um, the research of Rodale Institute, um, but their, you know, Rodale Institute's farming system trial, which is a, a 40-year experiment in organic food, is showing that, you know, organic can, can hold up with yields. And so this is the longest-running side-by-side comparison of organic and con- conventional farming in the world. Um, and there is a, you know, a wealth of data that came out of this. And, and basically the idea, the, the headline here is there's plenty of food and there's healthy soil. And and the need for humans to eat from healthy soil. Um, and I did have um, uh, David Montgomery and Anne Bliquet wrote the book, What Your Food Ate. And so um, there are like 50,000 different known phytochemicals. I mean, the whole process of 
soil being changed to plants that humans can eat. That is incredibly complex. And our individual health, there's a lot of evidence. I don't need to be saying this, but I mean, I, I mean, our human health in the United States has gone downhill tremendously since we've sort of adapted a certain um, industrialized approach to food. And um, so, I mean, um, so have eating from healthy soil yeah. is key. Yeah, there's so, it's so exciting, that research. And I love that book, by the way. Um, I've been reading it and listening to their podcast interviews. Um, it's just, it's really exciting because I feel like we are just scratching the surface in that area. And we're going to see more and more. I mean, I know a lot of researchers are looking to see um, what, you know, what this means. And, and we're going to see more, you know, phytonutrients identified and more connections between um, our health, our human health, and how our food is grown. And also, by the way, like, it tastes better, right? <laughs> like, it's, right? It's, well, there's flavor there. I, I try to reframe that in my family. You know, when I we were eating organic broccoli the other night at dinner, and my husband said, oh, that's really, that's really strong. It's really bitter. I'm like, okay, let's reframe that, right? Right. And that, it's really, it's really alive with nutrients, right? You're, that that bitterness is imparting something, I think, and our our taste buds have this, just been beaten into submission. Sugar, salt, fat. Everything is sugar, salt, fat. Instead of and, and the need for eating bitter foods is is actually quite interesting. Um, so okay, let's. So I'm going to go back to the mission then. Um, uh, so what kind of work do you do on the consumer activism? We haven't really talked too much about that. Oh, yeah, good question. There are so many ways for consumers to, to get involved here. Um, one of the ways is um, through the public uh, public process, and I mentioned that, OLPS. Consumers can engage with any of the action alerts on our website. We have a whole action alert section if you go to cornucopia.org. And then also um, our consumer tools that identify authentic organic brands and farms. They've been used more than a million times to date. And our popular scorecards are a great way to, like I said, start somewhere. You know, if you drink milk, start with the dairy scorecard. If you don't drink milk, we have a um, a berry map where you can go online and see where certified organic berry farms are in your in your state. And so there's many tools on our website that allow you to use um, the power that you have because I do think that consumers have power. I realize that this is a really complicated huge puzzle here right but the the policy it like grinds on in the background right and so consumers why the policy is grinding on <laughs> the consumers can be you know can be active they can be doing their port their part to make purchasing choices based on based on information that helps them align their values with their choices so uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. We're talking to Michelle Marchetti. She's the Deputy Director of the Cornucopia Institute. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to connect this conversation with consolidation, which um, consolidation has been very painful for rural people in rural areas. And then one of the big solutions is cooperatives and how cooperatives, um, and this is National Co-op Month, how cooperatives help um, with a diverse economic um, food system. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Um, on studio, in studio, or on phone with us is Michelle Marchetti. She's the deputy director of Cornucopia Un- um, Institute. And uh, one of the things that Cornucopia has done for a long time is you have a sheet on who owns organic. So you want to talk about that? Absolutely. Um, so this year we're going to do a reboot of that very popular work, and it's something that when we when we're at trade shows, people always come up to us and say. Oh, I know Cornucopia through your Who Owns Organic poster. Sometimes co-ops and retailers display this. And we're going to be updating it. So this is updating the research of Dr. Phil Howard. And what it does is it shines a light on mergers and acquisitions among the top 100 largest food companies. And it shows consumers where um, which organic brands these huge companies have acquired. So you'll be able to see, for example, when you click into this visual tool that we'll be releasing later this year, you'll be able to click into, like, for example, um, General Mills and see that General Mills owns Annie's and Purely, Purely Elizabeth. And so these are brands that, you know, maybe at one time were independent or sound like they're independent, um, but they are actually in reality owned by huge companies that also invest a lot of money in the conventional food system. And, you know, I don't uh, – I, I, I want to make sure we don't have any en- enemy images. There are places for that. But but there's also really a need for um, small independent um, food businesses. And maybe that's one of the things that we want to take away from that baby formula crisis. If you put all your eggs in one basket, <laughs> you can have a problem. So this whole consolidation has been – what's wrong with consolidation in the food system? Yeah, well, what's wrong with consolidation is you end up with an illusion of choice. And so you go into the grocery store and you, you know, you're faced with all of these colorful displays and it seems like there's just so many options out there, but there's only, a, you know, a handful of companies behind these multiple products. And so that just makes for a more vulnerable food system. You know, we've all seen with the pandemic and everything else that has happened, what happens with a vulnerable food system with supply chain issues? And so, you know, we need diversity in our food system, just like we need, you know, biodiversity in, in, in our food system. So from the consumer's perspective, it's an illusion of choice. From the producer's perspective, and I know a friend who is a dairy farmer, and it was like, ah, oh, we could sell our milk in all sorts of different places. Now, you know, it was one, and it was, it was it's really difficult for farmers and food producers when there is this tremendous consolidation. Partly they Absolutely. only want to deal with the big guys. They don't want to deal with small guys. You just you want to, you want to make it as easy and, as you can, so you, you just go to the big guys and – um, and then the small producers really struggle. And that's why we all need to uh, support, if we can, our, if we have access to them, you know, co-ops and independent retailers, because they are making space on the shelves for these small independent brands. In fact, many independent brands get their start on the shelves of co-ops. Many small certified organic farmers, you know, get a foot in the door through their local retailer, through, you know, their co-op, you know, because... The people who work at the co-ops are going to the farms. They're interested in learning about what the farmers are doing for their local community. You know, they have a vested interest in this. And so that's why we say, you know, if you can, please, you know, join your local food cooperative. Get more involved there. Check out and see if you have an independent grocery store and, and look closely at the shelves. Take a look and compare that to what you see at a bigger grocery store. 
Is there more diversity on the shelf? Do you see brands in your independent retailer or your co-op that you weren't even aware of? Because I, I'll tell you that it's not easy for these brands, right? And if we don't support them, if we don't support the stores that are selling them, and if we don't support the brands, they're not going to continue to be available to us. Right. And so, um, so why, why are co-ops specifically um, important to the marketplace? Yeah, because co-ops are, like I said, you know, they are really um, making space on their shelves for their local certified organic farmers um, because they have a, a way of uh, operating that places people over profits. That's the whole business model of a co-op, right? It's like flipping the conventional model. Like they're out, not, they're, they're owned by their members. And so co-ops are really, you know, making decisions based on what the membership wants. The membership has a vote. And so they are in control. It's a different way. It's a totally different business model. And it's one worth supporting. Right. Because we want to own the system. We don't want to just be, you know, cogs, passive, passive but owning the system. And um, and that's a way of being indigenous to place. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great. That's a great way to end. And yeah, and it I is. Have, um, Robin's book on my shelf here, and I'm going to revisit now that I'm inspired and I heard that. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I have to reread it too. So um, for those people who've just joined us now, I want to say, um, so Robin Wall Kimmer uh, won the Genius MacArthur grant this week. So we're very pleased with that. I also want to remind listeners uh, of the a deadline of November 10th and how they can impact the proposed organic livestock and poultry standards. Or for those in the end, OLPS. So, <laughs> so how do people... How do people um, impact these standards of how uh, standards around chickens and poultry yeah so go to our website go to conocorbia.org and you'll see a, an orange banner right at the top that says um, tell usda you want better animal welfare and are willing to pay for it or you can go to our newsreel on our site to read more about the issues uh, you can go to the alerts and then you can also um, interact in a different way through our scorecards and so the sort of store cards are ranked different companies, and that's all on your website. So we are, last minute here, I'm going to ask you this question. What does Food Freedom Radio, or what does Food Freedom mean to you? Mm. Food Freedom, to me, it means having transparency. It means um, peeling back the onion and having the information that we all need and deserve to make the best choices for our families, for our communities, and for the earth. And um, so, again, you are the Deputy Director of Cornucopia Institute. And um, what's, uh, tell us a little bit more about the history and what you look forward to in the future. Yeah, so what's coming in the future for Cornucopia, um, we are launching, relaunching the egg scorecard. So, like I said, it's our most popular scorecard, and it's getting a reboot. So you can look for that. Um, we are going to have more reports from the organic investigator that we're hiring. So I just want to say this, that big organic is watching what we're doing, and they are on notice. We know that at least one industrial organic operator plays very close attention to our communications. So I'm really excited to get that person started out in the field, maybe have some video um, that we can share and get people um, more information about what's going on on some of these huge operations. But you still love the word organic. Still, Yes. 
Despite despite <laughs> even though the organic washing that's existing, it is the best word Lots we have right all. now. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so Absolutely. much, Michelle Machetti uh, with uh, the Cornucopia Institute. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice.